so many of the other mortgage professionals in my industry space, they chase the deal, they're a hunter, right? They just, they don't want to invest in more than what just the deal is. So I promised myself that my relationship with my clients begins at closing. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ian Lee. Ian's a mortgage loan officer from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he's been in the mortgage business for just over 12 months, which we normally only have people on the show that have been in the business for a while. But Ian's story is amazing. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I know I did. So in, in this show, he shares how he did in his first six months in the business. He closed only five loans. But in the last six months, he's closed 65 loans. It's an amazing story. He talks about why ideas are irrelevant. And it's all about execution. He talks about how you're mapping out your customer journey. So that's everything that happens from first contact till that client moves into a care facility, all the steps in your process and how it's allowed him to stand out, make amazing customer experience and just start to build a business that he's super excited about. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Also, if you're the mortgage broker right now, you're listening to this, you're funding around nine, 10 million a year, and maybe you've been stuck there for a while, maybe a couple of years and you're like, dang it, how do I get to that next level? I really want to talk to you. One of the things that we specialize in is helping people go from 11 million a year to 24 or 9 million and go to 21. We have countless clients that have come to us. They already know how to do a mortgage. What the piece they're missing is, is how do I build a business that scales? How do I scale my leads? How do I build out a team? And how do I get my systems in place? And that is our absolute sweet spot. And we absolutely love working with those clients. So if that's you, check out 10loansamonth.com. Book a call with myself or my team. You can see that at 10loansamonth.com. Book a call with us. We'd love to chat with you and see how we can help you possibly be on an upcoming episode talking about the amazing changes you've made in your business. Check out this episode with Ian. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ian Lee. And Ian is coming from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we're going to talk about his mortgage business. Hey, brother, how did you get into the mortgage business? It's been like a lifelong journey, I think, that I've landed in this space. I went to school, was classically trained to be an engineer. I worked in that field for a little bit over a decade. Towards the end of that career field, I bumped into another engineer who encouraged me to start an engineering firm with him. That was the very first step into my like entrepreneurial career, if you will. But in the middle of that engineering job, I bought my very first house. It was about like 2005, 2006 timeframe. I was a single guy, you know, kind of just a few years out of college. And I had a bunch of my buddies move in with me, live in the college. Your own frat house. Yeah, yeah. Self-built frat house, right? But then, you know, the mortgage industry collapsed. All the housing market just went just went to who in 09, 2010 is framed. And I kind of struggled to keep the house. And that was because I'd gotten a very poor loan from a mortgage lender that had been connected to me from the agent that I used to purchase the house. And so I kind of had to self-educate figured out a way to do, do a refinance, did a refinance, you know, continued my slumlordness, if you will. And it worked out pretty well. I was able to save the house, but then realized through that self-education process that this was a great way for me to just personally build wealth. So as my engineering career moved into my entrepreneurial like pursuits, and I did a few different startups, some turned into awesome dumpster fires. Other ones have been successful are still around today. We might, we could chat about that in a little bit if you want, but all along that process, whenever I got to a point where I had a little bit of money that I could buy another house, I did. And now that I'm at a position in my career where I had a chance to kind of do something that I really wanted to do, 
I had always kind of had it in the back of my mind that if I could be the type of person that could stop one other human from having to deal with this drama that I did, almost losing my house, that I would do it. So that's why I decided to be, you know, a mortgage broker. And I wake up every day and try to become the best lender that I know how. Make people fall in love with their mortgage again. You have this great line, be the best mortgage lender I've ever met. That's what yeah. you said before. I think that's a great yeah. line. So it's always interesting our path into the mortgage space. We don't usually, you're not in kindergarten. You know, I want to be a mortgage broker when I grow up, right? Like, <laughs> I, mean, we, I don't even know if I knew what that was when I was in kindergarten. No, I didn't. I didn't know until I was probably 30, honestly, what a mortgage <laughs> broker was. So, okay, that's cool. So before we dive into the rest of your story, so I love quotes. They're portable. They're impactful. Is there a quote that's really had an impact on your life or business? Yeah, honestly... I've had this kind of quote, I've manipulated it into my own brain. It's just implementation means everything. That's the quote, but it's come from a few different directions. In one of my early startups, we were building a tech startup, right? So we were building cool like little social media web apps. And I was meeting with an advisor kind of position role gentleman at the time, just gaining some insight and some wisdom. And we were lamenting about some process and procedure. And he pretty much just told me straight up that, he felt like that no matter what idea I could come up with, if I gave him the plan, that he'd still beat me because he was better at implementing than I was. That kind of shocked me. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, this was my how idea. You just threw, threw the gloves how, down. And- how dare you just throw your gloves out like that? And I think, though, that the answer to that is all of us consistently think that we come up with great ideas and that that's what separates us. And it's not that our ideas aren't valuable. They definitely like, are. But it's your ability to get that idea into practice is actually like what sets you apart. And the second story is there was, and it was in the fifties, I think the late fifties from the U S I'm going to use the football analogy here, but Hey I, dude, I love football. And if okay, CFL so University of even, Texas, I'm in Canada, CFL does not even exist in my opinion. <laughs> Keep going. So yeah. So University of Texas playing University of Oklahoma sometime in the mid fifties and the Oklahoma coach is in a press conference and he's getting peppered by the media people just kind of asking them like how they're going to stop you know, Texas is unrelenting defense and amazing offense and whatever. He kept going on and on and on. And so the coach finally just got fed up with it and he pulled out this binder and he threw it on the press conference table. Suffice it to say, I'm obviously paraphrasing here and probably like, you know, leaving out the cuss words too. But suffice it to say, in his own vocabulary, said that, you know what, guys, here is the, our playbook. And I'm just going to leave it here and you guys can look, take a look at it. Because it doesn't even matter if you guys know what plays we're going to run. And I'll run them in this exact order because my boys will out-implement the boys down in Texas every single time that we press hike. And that's why we're going to win tomorrow. Did he win? Yeah, they did win. Yeah, they totally won. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. the story would be suck. It'd be like, I know, yeah, they totally got destroyed. It was like, <laughs> the point is, is you need to implement. <laughs> the point is that you need to implement. And right. for me, implementation wins is this mantra that I try to you know, relive every single day because, you know, there are days that you wake up and you're like, I think today I'd like to coast. Right. And when you don't coast, that's the thing that makes you rise to the top. Right. Okay. So I want to ask you, so this business that you're in, was this a dumpster fire business or was it a successful business with the one you did? <laughs> it, uh, it turned into a dumpster fire. It was one of the blazing <laughs> dumpster fires. It's still burning today. <laughs> still burning to this day. Still burning to this day. No, actually, it's pretty funny. I had a few investors in that startup that appreciated what me and my business partner did from a character standpoint, I'd like to say, uh, so much so that when we shut that business down and we went through the process of you know, rekindling our own creative genius to come up with some other cockamamie idea, 
they also invested in that one, which has been kind of neat. So they were like once bitten, twice shy. They're like, oh, you'll do it next time. Right? <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah, totally, right? So failure happens in the mortgage space, entrepreneur, you know, but there's always a lesson in it looking back. So can you share something you failed at? And then now looking back at it, go, you know, this was a great lesson I took away that I'm going to keep with me for life. That's a great question. And sometimes when I'm sitting on a panel or speaking at a speaking engagement, it's something that comes up a lot. And I think when you hear other people answer this question, please share failure, right? They always share one and that was just like an epic fail. There was no end to it. So the one I want to share with you though, it was like a more of like a personal failure. It wasn't like a company one. That's okay. Right? That's, so, that's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. So one of the businesses that I started with my cousin, 2012, 2013-ish is a distillery. It still exists today. It's called Lee Spirits Company. And we make pre-prohibition American products. So gin, vodka, whiskey. What makes a pre-prohibition? The distillation techniques and the methodologies, processes, and procedures of how we make the products in our distillery echoes the way a distillery functioned about like 1905. Right. So you make it in a shed. Yeah, we make it in a shed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Totally. We make it in a shed. No, but more importantly, Cletus. you know, they didn't have refrigeration back then. They didn't have pasteurization wasn't a common thing. They didn't have a lot of preservatives. So some of the methodologies have led us into creating products that consumers really want today. But it's not because they wanted to back then. It's just because that was that's necessary. Okay. Sorry, that was a side. Yeah, no, so in Colorado, the laws are such that if you are a manufacturer, you can have a tasting room co-located with your manufacturing facility. And so for us, we decided to go all the way. The craziest idea we could come up with was we built a no-joke Prohibition-era speakeasy that functions as our tasting room. So it's a total like cocktail lounge. It's fantastic. Right. We win awards for it being awesome. But when we first started it, we had this like silly idea that whatever we used to be open a few days a week, and you know I don't know two three people were walking off the street and oh let me just sample some of your gin. So we literally hired me and one other person to work this like tasting room that sat fifty something people. And when we opened that weekend for the next six weeks solid, we averaged a two hour wait at the door, and that continued for months and months and months and months. Now, we started this business to be a wholesale business to sell our products all across the country. And I got stuck bartending for almost six months at this right. little tasting room. It was a total distraction away from like what we wanted to do. It delayed the growth of our company. It changed you know, the whole perspectives of the people that we raised the money from and whatnot. And I got burnt out. And my right. business partner and one of my board members had to sit me down and point out that I was being a C plus player, not only for the growth, but the promises that we had made to our other teammates and whatnot, because we didn't have the infrastructure in place, the process and procedure to get me out from behind the bar and grow our business in the way that we really wanted it to be. That was a massive failure on my part for not realizing that even though during the day, I thought but I was You were succeeding and failing at the same time. That's the lesson is that like right. I was convincing myself that we were being super successful, but the truth is, because I had a glass ceiling above me and my business wasn't going to grow to the, you know, the million dollar business idea that I really wanted it to be if I stayed behind the bar and I didn't put myself in the right role on the team that we were trying to build. Right. And you know how this relates to our mortgage business is so many people get stuck behind the bar of the mortgage business. They are 100%. stuck pulling their credit bureaus. Nobody can do it better than nobody pulls credit bureaus like me, right? Like they got to do everything themselves. And meanwhile, they're stuck at that same volume year after year after year not recognizing that that's not the growth. And it's great that your investors sat you down and said, hey, you're being a C player. That's not where we need you. So like, okay, yeah. just out of curiosity, how did you extricate yourself from that? So then did you just have to- Yeah, so after that day, honestly, that's kind of led me to, you know, it was a pretty quick sidestep that's led me to become a mortgage broker, right? So 
after that happened, we sat down and came up with a plan for how we were going to replace me behind the bar. And subsequently, thereforward, every single time I moved into a new role, we wrote everything down, came up with a ton of documentation, process, procedure, training manuals, all that kind of stuff to replace myself over and over and over again. And so about two years ago, we got to the point where there weren't any other jobs that needed replacing. And so me and my cousin, my co-founder, we don't have to be involved in the business day to day, kind of runs itself. Okay, and, I love uh, this idea of replace yourself. So how did you find time to do the job? Because mortgage brokers should be thinking the same way. I'm a mortgage broker. How do I replace myself from these parts of the business I don't want to do? But so how did you find the time to, to document and do the work? Well, you know, there's a funny gift that goes around every once in a while that my friends and I will text each other. It's Beyonce has the same 24 hours in a day that you do. So like, how come you can't accomplish as much? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But the truth is you got to have this mentality that, you know, for a few years, I'm going to work like no one else will work so that for the rest of my life, I can live like no one else gets to live. Right. So how many hours are you putting in during that time? Like, oh, it was embarrassing. I'm sure that it was like 60, 70, 80 hours a week sometimes. But, you know, the dedication was to getting ourselves out from behind the bar, right? When we had it dialed into those, like just those individual positions, like how do we replace ourselves? Pick a spot, right? So for me, it was like, Colorado sales rep, right? Because I was having to drive around the state and sell our product and stuff. How do we replace that person? Well, partly it comes from hiring a distributor. Partly we got to hire another sales-like person. There were honest to goodness micro levels of accomplishment in there that we could see that we were progressing towards, right. which only fueled the fire to continue to work hard and to continue to progress and to continue to push ourselves when it felt like the hours were intense. Right. Know? Okay. That's awesome. That's a great story. I've tried your gin. So anybody listening, Lee Spirits, you can find it. It's great. So how long have you been in the mortgage business? So I have been licensed for about two years, but I've yeah. only actually been doing loans since July of 2019. So a year and a bit. So yeah, just a little over a year. Yeah. A little over a year. And so in the last year, I always like to talk about systems, leads, teams. So in terms of your systems, you've got to obviously a system mindset. You wouldn't have been able to yeah. get free of your other business. What kind of improvements have you made to your systems in this last few months or last 90 days? Well, this is low-hanging fruit for me, Scott, because I didn't have a system a year ago, right? So right. I got so one anything now, is so a system. Right. <laughs> anything is a system. The biggest thing was I had some nuggets that provide me some directional course, if you will, when I'm trying to engage and develop your business. So those are like, you know, the four slide presentation that you and your team have helped me like generate, which is essentially just a, a business promise a to pitch, your partner. Pitch deck, yeah. yeah, pitch deck, right? You know, focusing really hard on making sure that I am cataloging all my clients into a CRM because, you know, the truth is money's in the list, right? Yeah. And, you know, to not get bogged down in the notion that I got to make a million calls a day and try to get as many clients as I possibly can because I haven't had a deal like on the books yet and, and sit down and realize that I needed to have my CRM create what was going to be the future of my business. And when I originally sat down to create that CRM, you know, it's like, I don't know, name, phone number, email address, like what, what else do I need? Do? What else could yeah, you what possibly else do I need? I was like, I feel like I'm a really smart person. Why do I feel like I don't understand why it should be more complicated than this? And it's because... I had not mapped out my client's journey with me. Right. And so I sat down and I wrote out what I wanted that journey to be like from the first moment that you meet me to the last moment that you meet me, which I'm hoping is because you're not unfortunately here on the earth anymore because I want to stay engaged. Your retirement, you're moving into a retirement home. Yes, exactly. Right. Cool. From first contact to retirement home. Like yeah. That's, that's the, when I, 
yeah, when I got done with that client journey, I realized that so many of the other mortgage professionals in my industry space, they chase the deal. They're a hunter, right? They just, they don't want to invest in more than what just the deal is. And so I promised myself that my relationship with my clients begins at closing. Right. Right. Like that's, that's really the start of our process, starting of the time that you're going to spend with me. And that gave me a chance to fill in all the gaps and see where I wanted to go. So what's the tool in my system, right? It was mapping out that customer journey has probably right. allowed me to navigate the appropriate stuff and accomplish a ton in the short course of one year. So if you think about, I don't know, maybe you did this instinctively when you did your spirits business, but did you map out a customer journey for that? You know, we kind of didn't, we kind of didn't. So our tasting room, like I told you, is modeled after that prohibition era speakeasy. It is like a Disneyland building for an adult, right? Like everything right. from like the speakeasy door to like a fake men's tailor shop. You have to walk through it even just like get in there. And like the building itself is- Oh yeah, you create the whole atmosphere. We created so cool. this whole yeah. atmosphere. We did that because we thought that if we modeled our space after our ideal client, that we would learn a lot by trying to function in there as bartenders. What we inadvertently did was we created an experience for the customer that was so compelling and so, I almost want to say addictive, right? Yeah. That the customers kept coming, coming back, and they didn't even care what liquid was in the cup. Granted, it's, it's delicious. Like We knew it was, it was awesome, but they didn't even care because the process of the experience was so splendid that they felt silly even considering going somewhere else. When we uncovered that and I came to the mortgage business, I thought, this is how I communicate value. This is how I don't have to talk about rate all the time right. with my clients. It's like, I figure out a way for them to fall in love with the process, not me, the process, so that they can find themselves joy in doing something that most people only do a few times in their life. Right. And is usually very stressful. Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay, so what about in the sales process? So a good process will get you business, but is there any adjustments or tweaks you've made to your sales process? Let's go shorter because I know it's been, let's say like in the last 90 days, anything in the last 90 days that you've adjusted in your sales process? Yeah, you know, I think low-hanging fruit without doing much like research as a loan officer, you're like, I got to find real estate agents. That's obvious. But it also means though that every single real estate agent probably feels- Everybody's like, hey, I got an idea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally, right? So then they're like, they're so busy, especially right now in the market, man. Oh my goodness. You know, real estate agents are, are busier than they've been in a really long time, but whatever. That's just mirrored. We're busier than that too. So I thought, who are some other people though, instead of real estate agents, since everyone's trying to talk to them that I can talk to, maybe kind of find a way to shop around and build this client experience with them and help them grow their business too. And so I've actually spent in the last like 60 days, a healthy amount of time talking with certified financial planners and property management companies and helping them uncover, you know, essentially deals that are inside their ecosystem. It's a little different on both sides or whatever, but that process has really helped me, you know, take these clients that hadn't really considered doing a refinance or a purchase in a time away where they're not already thinking about buying, meaning that they've already engaged with a real estate agent. And it puts me in a positive position to just kind of share value first without having to be salesy. Right. And which of the two are you getting more success with financial planners or property managers? Yeah, financial planners, because a lot of times their portfolio of clients are a little bit more financially astute than those in a property management firm. And so they can already like pinpoint, hey, here are five people you should talk to this week because we've had some sort of conversation in the last three months that would insinuate that they would be a great person for you to chat with. 
And are you um, looking for like refi opportunities from those financial advisors or purchase opportunities? You know, I always kind of pitch it from a refinance perspective because, you know, there's low hanging fruit here, right? Like, hey, Mr. Financial Advisor, if you help me understand which one of your clients could benefit from a refinance, i.e. drop their interest rate, save money over the life of their loan, but it also frees up some cash, maybe you're in a position to capture that cash and it can boost your equity holding with them, right? right? That's an easy one. But then you can go holistic, right? And talk about how you're providing additional value for them as the financial planner, being this person that can do this. You know, we talk about like annual mortgage analysis or cool stuff like that. That's really what's launching me into that field with those financial advisors, but making them feel comfortable putting me in front of some of their clients. Right. And so then right now, would you say percentage of your business is coming from real estate agents versus financial planners, would you say? I'm probably getting 25% of my business right now from financial planners. Okay. But it's still predominantly realtors, but this is just, you're building another leg on the table. I'm wondering though, right now, because the market is so hot, if a lot of that, those cookies that are crumbling right now into my lap are just a function of how hot, hot the market is. And a lot of the real estate agents that I've invested some time in over the past year are starting now to get more and more deals. And so they're able to give me more business than what they were, you know, nine, 10 months ago. Right. Okay. So you're a member of our 10 loans a month program. And mm-hmm. so we've loved having you in there. I was saying to Loren, you're so like, you're a smart business guy. Like I could sit and learn a lot about systemization from you and how you built a business that you work two hours a week at. So you can yeah, be thanks. a mortgage broker, but you're so humble. Like you're always like, you're just the kind of guys like, I always want to learn, 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 learn. And then you go out and apply it, which you said, everything's about execution. So for right. you, what has been your sort of biggest takeaway that you've had from being part of our program? Wow. There's so much. Here I am like speechless. I'm just going to write you a really long email and I'll give me top level. Like I don't, it doesn't just give me like, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, confidence. It's right. confidence. You know, right. the program provides you a multitude of ways to have a conversation that ultimately results in the same outcome. Right. And so that means that the program is malleable and attaches itself to multiple different types of energy types, personality types, and business philosophies. If you're an old school Midwest used car sales guy and you're just like, you're dialed in, right? And you make those phone calls every day. Yeah. And like, you'll get it done. Like those guys exist. I even know those mortgage guys had one of those dudes in the first firm that I was with. Right. Right. And he just crushed it, you know, but that's not me. Right. But the tool itself was able to give me confidence in myself for me to be authentic, which then subsequently lets, you know, the people that I'm working with trust me sooner. Right. And then refer you sooner. That's really, really good. And refer to me sooner. Yeah. You know, we did an exercise recently and Loren and I, we were like, and Joe, we were like trying to figure out, okay, what problem does your business solve in one word? And the problem was confidence. That's what we said. We we're like, and we do it by simplifying, help simplifying, basically helping people accomplish their goals with using really simple methods to do that. Right. But that's interesting you use that word. Okay. So these are some rapid fire questions. You can answer them a little quicker answers if you like, but so yeah. what's the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Systems for sure. Yeah. Systems in terms of like how they run their day or like... Yeah, well, I guess for me, I I was saying systems, it's based on my customer journey conversation we had earlier, right? Like if you don't understand how you want your customers to be treated from start to finish, you're going to struggle to understand where you can improve things to provide additional value, but also be more efficient with your day. Right. And then what's one thing or habit you think has made you successful? When I first started, I felt like I needed to learn all of the things at one time, right? And you've seen those hilarious cartoons where, you know, the animals drinking all the water shooting out of the fire hydrant at one time and it just blows them down the street. Right. Right. That's kind of like how you felt. And so what I actually did was I got to the office every single day 
at a very specific set time. And before I read my email, as chaotic as that sounds, I made sure that I spent an hour educating myself and refining some position statement that I felt like I needed to improve on for my business. And I did that very religiously, if you will, for about six months. And inside that six months is where I started the 10 loans a month program. And it gave me a chance to invest in myself first before I ran dry from what I could give my clients and my referral partners. Right. The discipline of execution. It's not the idea. It's like you were talking about earlier. It's the actual execution. And just think about as you were basically working on your business instead of in it. And we always talk about, you know, e-myth book, work on your business, yes. not in your business. You were actually carving out the first part of your day to be like, this is on my business time. Then I get to my work, which is actually really, really smart. Did you do that in your other business, like Lee Spirits or, or is it just habit or how did you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes and no. In some way, shape or form, you know, because I kept trying to like rotate between new positions and like hire behind me kind of vibe. And so I had to like quickly learn, like what's the fastest way that I can become a subject matter expert on this one thing so that I can hire someone to replace me ASAP, you know? And I was in that time, and probably when I started my mortgage business too, you know, I was in a position where failure wasn't an option. If I didn't do the work, no one else would, and I wouldn't be putting food on the table for my family at home. I know that that sounds like a cliche thing to say, but for some of us, that's the reality of when we start. And that right. fear can be very paralyzing from a decision about like, what's the most important thing for me to do every single day? So to sit down and have that religious desire to invest in yourself from a from an education perspective to become a subject matter expert in one specific thing for us mortgage brokers to the point where you've mastered something so you can train someone else to do it so you can take it off your plate and then begin to apply yourself in another arena how else do we scale to become the people that we see on some of these really big podcasts and youtube channels right that do 200 million dollars a year right like right no one person's doing that that is a team right Uh, so you know, I don't know if my business is going to get there. It'd be awesome if it did. What's your business look like right now? Like what kind of loans are you looking at? Do you mind sharing that? Oh yeah, not at all. So let's see. So in my market, the average loan is probably like 275, 300. Okay. So since last July, I'll just be quite frank with you guys right here. So the firm that I started with, I did four loans in the first five months while I was there. And me and my partner decided to leave and go hitch our cart to another firm. And uh, that gave us a little bit more control to build our own team and and whatnot. We were having some resistance there. Six loans in five months there. And then since March here, I've done 65 units. So that's, that's almost 20 million. And honestly, from an implementation standpoint, I don't really think I changed all that much other than I had the freedom to put some additional people in places where I knew that the value was ready. And things just took off. Right. So that's amazing. You've done more than 10 loans a month because the program sold 10 loans a month, but you've done. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, obviously the number I just shared with you is like a, it's, that's an annual review, but it's, it's definitely not a linear scale, right? It's probably more of a logarithmic, right? right. right? So let's see right now in my pipeline, let me look here. I want to look at my other screen real quick. I have 16 loans scheduled to close this month and 17 in the pipeline for next. So we're we're going to make a new program, 20 loans a month. And, you know, <laughs> please, I would yeah. sign up for it. You know, yeah, so you're like you already got there. Okay. So is there a software program or an internet resource you use that really makes your business more successful? Yeah. Let's see. You know, everyone's probably points out their CRM. So if you're not using a CRM, that will be the thing. That Shame on you. you first of all, Shame on you for not doing that. 
obviously today with COVID being a reality and the position statement of how we communicate with our clients and our referral partners, that's changed a lot. So Zoom, you're not using Zoom. I don't know what you're doing. But for me, above those two is probably the tool Calendly. You create a little profile in there and it connects it to your whatever email software you have that has your calendar in it. And it provides an opportunity for people that you send the link to to schedule a meeting on your calendar. So you don't have to deal with the laborious effort sometimes. Yeah, the back and forth, the emails, phone calls, text messages, probably sometimes even across both of those platforms to coordinate a time to meet with a client. But the cool thing is, is if you get there, I'm going to call it the pro tier, but it's really the paid tier, right? So it's yeah, like free or you can pay 15 bucks a month. On the $15 a month one, you can customize the different like meeting options. And I have begun to use it to collect client information. There's a way to connect Zoom into it. So now the people that I'm meeting with, my referral partners or new clients, they'll click on it. They'll fill out this little blurb about themselves. And then they'll either book a Zoom meeting or a phone call. And then the Zoom meeting button automatically sets up the Zoom infrastructure. I don't have to do anything. Right. So That's good. Do you have that, different call types for like discovery call, like signing, like you have yeah, different? Yeah, totally, totally. I was going to say like right before we started this podcast, I, my phone went off and I had someone had booked another meeting with me for Monday at 9 a.m. So I have a Zoom call at 9 a.m. with a prospective client. And I have no idea. I'll go read the list in a little bit, but it was probably from a referral partner. And it was like, you need to talk to so-and-so. Here's Ian's link. And then how many questions do you have in that? It's real simple. Name, email address, and phone number. I honestly think that name and email is a required one. Otherwise, you can't even press submit. But then after that, I just have a little text field that's like, you know, please give me a quick understanding of what goal you're trying to accomplish and how that ladders up to a dream you have. And it gives me a chance to understand a little bit more about the angle from with which... And do people actually answer that question? Dude, all the time. It's compelling. Yeah, because it's like, oh, it's about me. You want to know about my goals and my, you know. So that's really good. For sure. Okay, so if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Oh man, one book right now. Honestly, this has probably been the book I, I've loved for the last like 10 years of my life. It's called Lean Startup by Eric, Eric Reese. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't want to read the entire book, that's fine. It's only 300 pages long, but chapters like five through seven talk about the concept, mean viable product. Yeah. And it's about essentially building whatever Gidget, Gasmo process procedure you have as fast as you possibly can and put it in front of your customers so you can get people to go through the iteration loop, get their feedback, and refine that process as fast as you possibly can. It does two things. One is it does lead you to success faster. And then the second one is most of us oftentimes wait for perfection or our assumptive perfection until we implement something. And that laziness, that hesitation, right, is costing us business more often than we realize it. Right. Procrastination. We call it launch and learn. So we get this thing going and then we make adjustments as we're like, as it's in flight instead of like just sitting there waiting to go. Okay, so this is the last question. So the DeLorean, remember the movie Back to the Future? Yeah. So you get in the car. If I could put you in the DeLorean, you know they were going to use a fridge for that? And then they thought, no, this is bad because kids will put themselves in fridges. And seriously, so they had to switch. To oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, they so, put yeah. bananas in there and I'm still waiting for a car that runs on bananas instead of petrol. So like, yeah, it'll happen. Elon Musk, if you're listening, <laughs> if Elon's listening to this, I'm sure he banana is. Car. So if you could go back to your first day as a mortgage broker and give yourself some advice, it wasn't that long ago, but is there anything that you would say do different or any advice you give yourself? Yeah. So for me, and I presume that this exists in everyone's specific walk, you just got to understand a little bit more about your origin story, I think. But I didn't think that people were going to connect with my origin story 
when I first started. And so I was hesitant to share the real reason why I was in this job. And when I didn't share it, other people made up that story for me without even like thinking about it. Subconsciously, you just like, you fill out when you first meet someone, all sorts of things about them. If I could go back, I would tell myself to be more willing to be open about the reality of why I do this job every single day, because that provides me a mirror to understand why I want to hustle so hard every single day mm-hmm. and why it means so much to me to try to be the best lender that I've ever met, you know, right. because of the cause and effect that it's had in my life and because of the positive mm-hmm. cause and effect I've seen in my clients since then. And so I would encourage people to be more open about that and, and trust their, the authentic nature of their origin story. It's a very powerful exercise to do, to go through creating your origin story. So dude, this has been awesome. I love getting to chat with you more. I'm definitely coming. When we're allowed to travel again, I want to come check out that tasting room of yours. It sounds amazing. Any last piece of advice or anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Just keep grinding. Keep grinding. Yeah. Implementation or what you said, what was that? Implementation means everything. Yeah. Or implementation wins. Okay, man. Well, hey, it's been great chatting with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode. Here are my three big takeaways from my chat with Ian. First, I love, love, love that he spends an hour every morning working on his business instead of in it. I know most people are like, you got to work on your business. But the truth is, is we don't do it so well. And him carving out that time before he got into email and the chaos and the mess of the day, I really believe that's helped him accelerate his learning and as well as his earning in his first 12 months in the business. Second thing I loved about Ian was he talked about how ideas are irrelevant. It really is about execution and ideas are everywhere. How to grow your business. You can do this, you can do that. And at the end of the day, the discipline of execution is what's going to separate the people who are crazy successful from the people who are making themselves crazy and having to leave this business. And then finally, the third takeaway I got from Ian's chat was his customer journey. So one of the things we do in our program is we get you to map out, we show you how to do this, we map out your customer journey. And it was interesting, because I didn't know this, so I chat with him about this, about how impactful this was. But mapping that out has allowed him to create an amazing customer experience that accelerates his growth. And so if you haven't done this, you want to check out, we've got a workshop coming up called the five hour broker. And in that workshop, we're going to show you how to manage your time, how to set up your business so you can scale so that you can fund 50 million a year and work five or six hours a day. I know you're probably thinking, Scott, that sounds crazy. That's not possible. Yes, it's possible, but it's only possible if you have the right plan in place. So check out fivehourbroker.com. And thank you so much for checking out this episode. I really appreciate you.